0: Welcome to Beyond Borders the world's first talk show made especially for English learners and global citizens with me, your host, Ethan. In every episode of this show, it is my job to guide you outside of the classroom and into the real world with life-changing insights from some of the world's best teachers, language learners, innovators, and leaders, all here to help you unleash your highest potential in your English and your life. So if you are ready to join our movement of millions and together create a world beyond borders, then let's get started with the show. Emma from M mm English is a YouTube teacher, English confidence coach and entrepreneur based in Perth, Australia. She started her channel to help her former Vietnamese students get out of the classroom and develop real world fluency and has now grown it to a community of over 4 million subscribers. Emma is passionate about helping English learners build their confidence to use their English in the real world. She is also the co-founder of Hey Lady, an online community for women from around the world to connect and practice their English in a safe environment. So I was so excited to have Emma on. It's actually not the first time that I have met her and she is just so much fun. We talked about what exactly real-world English fluency is and why it is not enough to just speak English with natives. She told me about how she overcomes cross-cultural conflict in her Hey Lady community and how learners can develop the skills to make meaningful connections through English. We also talked about how you can deal with stress and anxiety when it comes to speaking. We discussed why having a strong purpose for your learning and anything else in life is absolutely crucial. And as always, we finished with a fun game where Emma and I tested our knowledge of each other's countries. That and so much more coming up in episode nine of Beyond Borders. So Emma, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, it's awesome to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: And it's so great to get to do another interview with you. I think it's been something like five years since we last spoke, right?
1: Yeah, yes. That original podcast interview that we did feels like a million years ago.
0: (laughs) Totally. I I could not agree more. I was watching that actually to prepare for this, and I could not believe. (laughs) I looked like a total hippie back then. (laughs) So. I'm hoping I'm looking a little bit better for this interview.
1: Oh gosh, well, I certainly didn't go back and prepare by watching that interview, but um, but I did have a look at it the other day, and I saw that it's had over a million views on my channel, anyway. And that is
0: insane. Thought,
1: oh yeah. my <laughs> gosh, because I think we could both agree that we, you know, that was probably way back at the start of our journey as online English teachers and um, entrepreneurs, and it's it's definitely an interesting point to to launch from, for sure.
0: Yeah, so many things have changed, as we were saying. Yeah. So one of the things that's changed for you, actually, I saw, is that you have a new addition to the family, right? You got a puppy. And I saw that you weren't so sure about the name. So did you go for, I think it was Frankie or Daisy?
1: It's Frankie. It's well and truly Frankie. Frankie. Yeah. Yeah. And she is, (laughs) she's a big baby. She's a bull mastiff. And so she's putting on about two kilos a week at the moment and, um, taking every ounce of attention and focus that I have, um, that's not on work, (laughs) which is really lovely.
0: I can totally relate to that. Uh, I got a puppy actually back in November. So, you know, not too far ahead of you. Yeah, And, and yeah, it's, it's actually much better now. She's, um, so now she's 10 months and it's much better now like than it was back then not quite as much energy.
1: It's pretty intense, isn't it? It's like I knew that it was going to be you know a bit of effort to train her but it's quite all-consuming to have a puppy and to be you know constantly making sure that they're not chewing something that they're not supposed to that they've gone out for to go to the toilet when they need to it's just like relentless (laughs) but they're so cute
0: yeah yeah (laughs) And they just need like endless attention, and this yes. playing and stuff. You yeah,
1: know, It's actually the perfect, it's the perfect um, antidote to like a workaholic or someone who spends a lot of time working <laughs> like me. You can't say no to a puppy, right? You can't, you can't right. look at them and just go, no, nah, I'm too busy. Sorry. <laughs> so it's really, it's perfect.
0: And the perfect remedy, I think after COVID, you know, just being stuck inside for so much time and everything, I think that's just like great having an excuse and something also that forces you just to get out of the house and go to the park and see other dogs and play and all of that jazz.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: So along the lines of training, one of the things I was curious about is... What have you learned from, you know raising her and and training her that's been applicable to other areas of your life? So I could just give you an example for myself. We're doing positive reinforcement training with her. And I found this actually parallels to so many things, like, for example, just uh, leadership, having a team and everything that, the positive reinforcement or positive feedback tends to be so much more effective, you know, than negative feedback. So I was curious if you've had any insights like that from training a puppy.
1: We're really we're using the same technique actually, positive reinforcement, mm-hmm. which is definitely the latest. Um, you know, hot topic in the puppy training space for sure Um, and have found it to be really, really successful. Um, We've had a lot of success with Frankie in getting her to be really responsive with positive reinforcement. But I think that one thing that has definitely um, come out of the training process for me, which I've personally taken away from or still am taking away from that experience is the level of, of patience right. and the and persistence required to get the reward from your puppy and i think that you know i certainly i work very hard and very fast and i move from one project to the next really quickly and so initially i was really frustrated by you know how long it would take or how much time I'd have to spend just doing something that felt like a waste of time. Like, oh, I have to keep doing this again and again. Like, come on, we've already done it. Let's, let's move on. (laughs) And, um, and I've really been able to learn from um, or take in the the joy of the process, the journey of getting mm-hmm. to the point, rather than just racing to the finish and moving on to the next thing. And I think that the relationship that you develop with your with your puppy through that period is um, super rewarding. Yeah,
0: and it's like you said, if you can actually be present in that moment, sometimes it's like hilarious. You know what they'll they'll do to be trying to get the treats when they're trying to figure out what is it that you want Yeah. in some sense, what's going through their heads. And it's just, it can be like really funny.
1: Or to get your attention.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the things they'll do. Ours, uh, she's a miniature bull terrier and they, they're not very vocal, which is something that's really great because I still live in an apartment, but uh, you have to really pay attention if they do like bark or anything. So like sometimes I'll be working, you know, and she's like there by me completely calm. And then I like hear her bark and it's like, Oh my god! Like you know, we have to go outside. It's like that means there's something wrong. We have to go outside, and <laughs> it's quite funny having those kind of things that are unique about every dog.
1: Yeah, yeah. Frankie's certainly got her own sounds. She's quite. Um, she doesn't bark a lot, a lot, but she vocalizes a fair bit and she's a bull mastiff so she has these beautiful like wrinkles and markings on her face which make her <laughs> really quite expressive and so yeah. i can just find myself at times just just staring at her wondering what on earth is going on like what are you thinking about what is what's going yeah. on for you at the moment um but yeah, it's it's so much fun to have a little puppy in the house, that's for sure.
0: And uh, something I've thought a lot too with this is that for, I mean, I live in Barcelona, so obviously people, uh, when I go out the door, people don't speak my native language, but it's such a great thing to meet people. And obviously, if you, if you love dogs, it's a great people to meet other people who love dogs and talk about your dogs. So it, for me, it's been a really great language practice tool, I think, especially after COVID and stuff that I wasn't getting out a lot, that it has forced me to go out and meet other people. Have you found that you're also, it's helping you to socialize more?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Where I live in Perth in Western Australia, there are, I I would have to say that for a dog, this is one of the best places in the world to live. Um, Mm. There's lots of great dog beaches lots of amazing parks and you know on a Sunday morning you just it's like a file of cars going past with dogs hanging out the window (laughs) going down to the beach and you know everyone congregating down there and um yeah it's lovely it's it's nice like I said before uh we my partner and I work from home um, it is really nice to have the the excuse or the opportunity to go out and meet people in the neighbourhood throughout Puppy, um, because yeah, if you don't you don't force that yourself and you don't create those opportunities yourself, which is easy to do. Um, yeah, it, it, you can kind of live, live on the periphery a little bit. And so a puppy certainly drags you right into the middle of a community.
0: Yeah, totally. That's one of the things I have been grateful for working from home is just having that excuse again to go outside, to go enjoy the sunshine. So yeah, <laughs> shifting into some of the work that you're doing at home. So on your website, you say that you help your students to launch their classroom English into the real world. And this is a term that we use a lot too, is that we want to help learners to get out of the classroom and use their English in the real world. So I was curious, what does real world English fluency mean for you?
1: Oh, that's an interesting question. I think that... um uh way back at the start of um, my journey with teaching on YouTube, it really meant um, facilitating a way for my students who I had in my classroom in Vietnam where I was teaching, um, I wanted to create an experience for them that wasn't learning in a classroom and it wasn't reading from a textbook. Um, it was hanging out and it was, you know, laughing and joking and just doing some doing everyday things with a friend who happens to speak English. Um, But, yeah, over the years, and it really has been years, this um, idea of real-world English for me has certainly expanded quite a lot um, because probably back then my understanding of of English in the real world was pretty um, limited in terms of, Mm Uh, who I knew and the experience that I had uh, with English as a native English speaker. And now I think with the community that I've grown through YouTube and and through my audiences, it's really like the question now is what what is real world English? Because 75% of the Mm -hmm. world who speaks English are non-native speakers. And so... When we talk about real-world English, we aren't just talking about standard American, standard British, Australian English at all. We're talking about (laughs) this incredible diverse mix of people and experience and accent and cultures. You know, it really starts to filter into something that's so much bigger than just a language um, for me. And so real-world English is... um, continually expanding, I think, and becoming more open, more accepting, and more um, perhaps curious um, about the other types of English speakers in the world. And I think that's a really exciting thing for for English learners.
0: That is exciting, I think, especially because so many learners, when they think about using their English, they tend to think about, I'm going to speak to an American or I'm going to speak to a person from the UK or from Australia or whatever the case is. But nowadays, obviously, depending where you work, but if you're working in any international company, it's much more likely that you're going to be using your English with someone from Germany or from Japan or from Thailand or wherever that isn't going to actually be a native speaker and it might actually become more the minority of speaking your english that's going to be with those native speakers so it almost that's very exciting i like that that you say it that way but it's almost um you need to be training yourself as well to not just be able to understand one type of english or not just saying english as american or british but being able to see it as a global language in some sense and needing to prepare yourself, right, for that reality of the language.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, even the idea of just obsessing over or focusing on a particular accent, it locks you in, you know, to a certain way of life, a certain experience, a certain limited or finite set of opportunities where by exposing yourself to a much richer or diverse range of accents and um, and English speakers, your opportunity to interact, engage with, connect with people, you know, all around the world is so much greater than, than by restricting yourself to just one, or prioritizing one.
0: Very true. And so you're doing this, I think, in your community in Hey Lady. And so I was curious, Why Hey Lady? Where did this idea come from?
1: (laughs) That's a good question. Um, So Hey Lady is my online community for women who are learning English. Um, We help our community to connect with each other, to make friends, um, make English-speaking friends, to practice speaking English together, and really to do that in a safe and supportive online environment. And so the idea for Hey Lady, as it is today, originally started as a little Facebook group um, way, way, way back when we first did our original podcast. Right. <laughs> um, and it was really about just creating a a space that was free of distraction and free of like ulterior motives for women who were looking to find speaking partners online and Uh, it grew really quickly and very quickly became something that was much too difficult for me to manage just on my own. And Mm -hmm. so I set about starting to um, test a way of learning and a way of experiencing a community around English, Um, not just about showing up to class and learning from a teacher, but how can we create you know, synergies and opportunities for learning, incidental learning within the community itself. And um, the path, I guess, that's taken me from, from there to where we are now has been one of really immersing myself in the capability of technology to support this idea of, of online community and creating that connection and um creating experiences through language. Um, For for us at Hey Lady, English is really the vehicle or the tool that we use to connect, but the experience is about so much more than just English learning. It's about connecting with um, women across borders, across cultures, connecting from household to household and really learning and experiencing more about the world through English. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's been a really exciting journey so far.
0: Yeah, I can I can totally imagine because we're doing such a similar thing. I think a big difference with yours, obviously it's, it's hey lady, which if people don't know, lady is a is another word that we'd use for a woman. So it's you mentioned it's focused only on women. So why did you make it an exclusive community for women?
1: Um, there's a couple of good reasons why, um, why the community is, is focused on women. So I touched on it a little before. It's about that um, uh, creating a space where a supportive and safe space for women to connect and meet together. I think that um, for a lot of women, whether it's culturally or socially, the ability to sort of speak up and compete with men in a classroom, mixed classroom environment can be challenging at times, um, you know, tend to be the ones who sort of hang back and maybe stay quiet and listen and observe rather than step up and, speak and project their ideas into a group of people mm-hmm. and so there's an element of, of feeling that safety of being able to do that um, as part of a group. Um, the other thing is by focusing on women only we get to really go deep on some interesting Um, Topics and points of discussion, we get to open up in ways that probably we wouldn't feel as comfortable doing in a a mixed classroom either. Mm -hmm. And that really generates um, incredibly deep and almost instant connections between our community. And that's really been the driver behind um, Hey Lady, the platform that we're we're launching in, in August this year. Um, it's about creating these sparks, these connections um, between uh, women of different cultures. And using English as the tool that connects us, it is um, about understanding the world, understanding different perspectives, understanding and learning truths about different cultures and different people. I think we, Mm -hmm. we have been you know, for a long time, fed information from certain, you know, generic sources like the news or, you know, through politics and that kind of thing. And we we come to our own conclusions, often ingrained in us since we were very young about different people, different cultures, different ways of mm-hmm. life. And I think that um, the more that we genuinely and deeply connect with each other, um, and obviously language is a powerful, the power, most powerful way of doing that, mm-hmm. um, we get to, to reimagine or re-experience the world on our own terms. And, you know, often that's quite eye-opening.
0: Definitely. It's a big goal that we have as well as that through connecting people from different places, you're able to come to your own conclusions about what's true and what's um, in some sense a stereotype or what is something that you've been lied to about, or maybe lie is kind of a strong word, but at the very least that maybe you've been misinformed about. So I think that that can be so powerful when you're using your English as a vehicle, as you said, to start connecting with other people and discovering kind of the truth about different parts of the world and using that to inform your own ideas about the world and your your worldview. One thing that I'm really curious about with that is, you said that, that with women, it allows you to go really deep on different things and I think that that's, um, that, that's really true because it probably feels like a much safer environment. But I can imagine still, I mean, if, even if you're just focusing on women, it's still people with different beliefs, with different backgrounds that have grown up differently. And so how do you tend to deal with cross-cultural conflict with people maybe not seeing so to eye to eye or, you know, rubbing against each other?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we do um, a lot of work within our community to model the behaviour that we um, we hope the community will will um, take on and experience together. Um, we do a lot of, of talking about these issues, about difference and acceptance and openness and, um, you know, approaching a conversation with curiosity rather than questioning.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, But it's always going to be a challenge because there's, you know, long-standing conflict. There's, um, you know... Racism. There's all sorts of, of, you know, darker aspects of um, what it is to to connect as as people on our planet and to be different and to experience the world differently. Um, I think that for us, apart from really modelling and demonstrating the behaviours, um, we also just act on um, disagreements or confusion as quickly as possible. So rather than sweeping, you know, disagreement or discomfort under the rug, you know, we'll we'll pull it out and we'll sort of tease out some of the language or the um, expressions or ideas that could be shared in that situation to overcome um some of that um, the the issue that that might be there. I think that you know that's a that's a hugely important part of learning a language and learning to interact with someone else who is different or has had a different experience in the world. It's not just um, stereotypes and and understanding that our perspective is just one perspective on a certain situation but it's also like more practically, it's about learning the tools or uh, having the resources to deal with that in your second language. And for for all of our English learners, that's a huge challenge. Not only is it awkward and uncomfortable for you and I to deal with um, disagreements or a different opinion mm-hmm. in our own language, native language, but then to be trying to navigate that um in a second or a third language is sometimes it's not even the fact that there's a disagreement or that there's it's just that it's unclear or the other person is you know feeling a little uncomfortable about something because they don't understand or they don't have the tools that they need in the language to help get themselves out of that situation comfortably and so a lot of what we do focuses on functional language training um to help you know be a great communicator in that situation as well
0: and what does that look like what kind of functional language is that i mean
1: yeah so that's um you know Often it'll be one of our, um, our teaching team hosting workshops or interactive sessions that focus on a particular aspect of language. So it might be um, disagreeing politely and, you know, helping to, to set up a scenario where we have a contentious issue or a conflicting idea. I think one that's that we're discussing at the moment in the community is around... Um, the vaccine, and whether or not you know we should be getting it, or you know if you do come up against someone who feels really strongly one way, and that's opposed to the way that you feel, how do you deal with that mm-hmm. in conversation? Um, so it's really about giving those functional expressions um, to use in that in that situation.
0: That's really cool. I really admire what you're doing there because you said you're not sweeping. Those kind of things under the rug, but you're actually saying, how can we turn this into a productive conversation? And maybe you won't always see eye to eye, right? But at least that you can, uh, like what you said about being curious before you're being judgmental. And I think, really, in order to be a global citizen, in a sense, to be able to speak real world English, it's not just developing the language skills, but in so much, it's also just developing the skills to be a good listener and to ask questions and to put yourself in that other person's shoes before judging them and not letting your emotions kind of take hold of you. And even just questioning your own place in the world and, you know, how much veracity there is in the beliefs that you have. So yeah. uh, that's that's really fascinating that you've been able to find different tools to do this in, in yeah. your community.
1: I mean, I think that's a lesson for anyone, not just anyone learning English, but course, you know, yeah. any <laughs> human on the planet. Um, so, you know, but hopefully the the opportunity of lots of diversity in English speakers will help to, you know, bring some of that out even in the native English speaking co- population as well.
0: Yeah, I imagine in some sense at some point it's going to be it's going to become more that we native speakers like in order to Participate on a global scale. We're going to have to be like developing these skills even more so than the people coming from non-native speaking countries that have, you know, along the way of learning the language, have had to also deal with these cross-cultural sort of um, challenges. Absolutely. So I think that that's that's something that's really important is that we're able to bring that back to the native population. Uh, So something that we get a lot with the real life app, you know, that we're doing something very similar of connecting non-native speakers to non-native speakers, is the objection that people say, you know, I only want to speak with natives. So I'm wondering, is this something that you have gotten very much with Hey Lady? And if so, how are you? What do you respond if someone says something along those lines?
1: Yeah, this is, I find this to be such a challenge in the English learning space. you know, this perception or this idea that the only way that I can learn is with an English teacher or with uh, a native speaker. And, you know, for me, that's true, you know, um, to an extent, there's there's the opportunity to learn with an English teacher, there's the opportunity to learn with a native speaker. Um, but by only sticking to that line of thinking, you're, you limit the opportunity and the potential for your experience to be something that is really um, like singular in experience. It's it's like a like a classroom and a relationship between a teacher and a student, um, or a relationship between a colleague and a and you know another colleague. But by opening up the experience of learning to be not just with teachers, but with um, other English learners, the experience again, it becomes so much richer. And um, I'm, I'll talk a little bit about um, Hey Lady, because this is the experience that, that I have as a teacher and as part of that community as well. Um, I think that in order to, you know, progress, to become fluent, to become confident as a communicator in a language, obviously all of our students know how much time and energy and effort that takes and money that takes as well. Um, And by creating those, those sort of limitations on your expectations for learning, you make that journey harder, more challenging, because the only way that you can experience English is with a teacher. The only way to um, practice is to find a native speaker. When you're experiencing English as part of a community, so much more can happen than just learning grammar, learning vocabulary, practicing in a certain way. Um, Inside our community, we we're really a member-led, um, member-led community supported by teachers. So we have a coaching team that um, prepares content, material, topics, sets the scene for what our discussions are going to be about and how we're going to manage and interact with each other through this topic. Um, and are always on hand to facilitate or to connect or support um, as needed. But really, that's the way that the teacher-student relationship really needs to function. You don't always need to have that teacher there. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't always need to uh, be able to turn around and say, hey, I've forgotten the word. What is it? Because in a con- in a group context or when you're speaking with another non-native English speaker, you still have that opportunity to ask that question, and if neither of you know, you have the opportunity to find out together, and you get to create an experience around learning that thing. You don't get given the thing; you have to find it yourself. And in terms of retention, in terms of um, you know, really. Helping that piece of information to stay with you by creating that experience around the learning um, really helps with that, helps to facilitate them.
0: I think also beyond just the retention thing, it helps you to build the to get the resources that you need and to kind of build that that mentality that when there's a challenge that you you overcome it in a sense. So you're building because any we were talking about real world English, so if you're using your English in the real world, maybe you're in a situation where there's not even a teacher around, you're having a business meeting or you're having a, you're helping out a tourist on the street or whatever the case is where, you know, you're not going to know some word. And so you need to figure out, you need to be able to kind of like put the pieces together in a a sense to figure out how can I still communicate my message? And I think that's really what fluency is in some sense is when you're able to kind of have those, those resources of, I don't know the exact word, but I can explain it another way or I can figure out some way to communicate this to you so that the message is not lost.
1: Yeah, it's about um, empowering our students or empowering yourself to be able to solve those problems, you know, when you need to, because Mm -hmm. by only relying on having a teacher there to answer your problem or answer your questions, um, obviously that, isn't a real experience um, that unless that person happens to be, you know, there are a few of us who um, have a, a partner who might speak the language that we're trying to learn, and in that case maybe that person is often with you. But for the majority, you know, we have to find ways of overcoming this and solving that problem ourselves. Right. Um, and I think that the the experience of engaging in a language is made so much richer when you step outside of the classroom or the teacher-student environment. Um, Within within Hey Lady, we have some incredibly creative um, groups that are connecting with each other around specific interests or specific um, agendas. Like, for example, we have a group that is pulling together a cookbook that um, you know (laughs) has been created by our entire community. That's so cool. There's a theatre group, and they practice together, perform, do the most incredible performances for our community. Um, But they come together and experience English in that way. with a group of non-native speakers, they come up with the the play and the ideas for the set and the the characters, they get to practise week in, week out together and have that experience of performing together. Not only is that a phenomenal way to to practise and improve your spoken English, But it's an incredible like the the part that's missing in a a standard teacher uh, classroom experience is that longevity, that motivation to keep continually showing up. And, you know, it's hard to do that in a really traditional environment. But if you start pulling the experiences, the topics, the interests, that you have towards your learning experience it becomes and of course then you start connecting with others who are equally as passionate or interested in that thing as you Mm -hmm. then it becomes so much easier to continually show up to then make progress and to be inspired by and supported by people around you who are doing similar things and I think that you know that is one of the the hacks, I think, of the 21st century with language learning. It's about getting the heck out of a classroom and around pulling the things that you need to make your experience richer towards you.
0: Yeah, that's such a great insight. I think it's its really a paradigm shift too, because so many learners, when they think about the using the language, they're thinking about, I need to find a practice partner, or I need to find a native that I can speak with, or even like I need to get a teacher. And instead, if you're shifting uh, with what you're saying, which I totally agree with is you're shifting your focus instead to connecting with other people who have the same interest and actually living your interest, living your passions with English as the vehicle to do that. And I think that when you're able to do that, then you know you're kind of transcending English as a language and you're using it really as a as a tool to connect to the world and to Live the life that you really want to live.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Hey there, Real Lifer. Have you downloaded the Real Life English app yet? On the app, Andrea and I will guide you beyond the classroom to live, learn, and even speak English in the real world. So how do we do this? To start with, you can listen to the Real Life English podcast and Beyond Borders talk show, even this very episode, with digital transcripts so that you can follow along and develop your listening fluency. Plus, check dozens of definitions of all the most difficult vocabulary, idioms, phrasal verbs, slang, and so much more that you won't find anywhere else or in any other podcast. And how would you like to develop real life speaking confidence at the touch of a button by speaking with other learners while making friends across cultures? Sounds like a dream, right? Well now with the Real Life app, it will be a dream come true. Download the app to listen to our podcast with transcripts and definitions whenever and wherever you want and speak with people from all around the world. What are you waiting for? Join our global community today by clicking the link in the description of this podcast or by going to www.reallifeglobal.com app, that's A-P-P. Or simply search for the Real Life English app in the Google Play or Apple App Store today. And let us guide you beyond the classroom to live and learn and speak English in the real world. Aw yeah. We'll shift gears a little bit. People might be really shocked to hear from you that you have a fear of public speaking and that you're not naturally a risk taker. But I think like looking at the evidence, you take tons of risks. Uh, I saw that when you hit 100,000 subscribers on YouTube, that you quit your more comfortable job of teaching so that you could focus on that full time. Um, And people actually told you that you were crazy to do that. Uh, and obviously just showing up every week, being on on YouTube in front of millions of people, starting a startup like you were we were talking about at the beginning. So how would you say that you kind of have developed this uh, risk adversity?
1: That is, I have a really, I think it's a really healthy relationship with risk. Yeah. I am <laughs> usually the cautious person. I'm usually the thinker, mm-hmm. the one who plans and organizes I don't like to step too far out of line. Um, But I'm also particularly stubborn, which means that if someone or something kind of suggests that I can't or I shouldn't do it, then there is a little part of me that that wants to prove that I can. And so Mm -hmm. this idea of I talk a lot about, you know, sitting on the edge of your comfort zone and kind of sticking your toe in the water on the outside and getting comfortable with that feeling of knowing um, that the security and the safety of everything that you know and everything that you um, trust is right behind you but the opportunity is just in front of you and so that you know, fear, that anxiety is something that I kind of ride on a little to help me take that leap or step into the unknown or a new experience. Um, So as much as the discomfort of public speaking, um, of getting up in in front of a bunch of people on stage and trying to be funny and coherent, is <laughs> really not my idea of a good time. Um, but also knowing that the experience of doing it is um, essential in order to continue moving forward or pushing a little further outside of of that comfort zone, Um, that feeling of an increased heartbeat, um, a shortness of breath, um, that sort of shaky, uncertain feeling that I get in that situation. And I know it's a a similar experience for a lot of my students as they're starting to speak in English. Totally, yeah. Yeah. It it really is that um, accepting that that feeling although we associate it with um, huge negativity, that feeling itself is the opportunity to kind of take a step forward, to experience something that you would normally step back from. And so I've been training myself or trying to get comfortable with that edge space and know that when I'm in that there is so much learning happening. There are so many um, different opportunities that are coming from just that one little moment that, Mm -hmm. you know, if I stay back or if I step back into the safety and security, I miss all of that. And that means that the next time I go ahead and do it, I'm no further forward. Um, And so, yeah, I'd like like to think that the... um, The edge of my comfort zone is where I'm I'm getting comfortable in hanging out. (laughs) That's how I move forward. I don't move forward in leaps and bounds, but I move forward in little, little tiny baby Mm -hmm. steps.
0: Which probably is, it can seem a little bit hard to believe because you seem so natural on camera and, and I'm sure giving presentations and everything. So you've really, you've really pushed yourself, I think, to lean into that fear. Like you're saying that, that, uh, your quickening heartbeat and everything. Have you heard, you know, of this idea that you can, that the bodily reactions to fear are very similar to, or not so much fear, but like stage fright, uh, are very similar to the ones that you feel when you're excited and that you can actually do a mental shift in that?
1: Yeah, I have. I think that like understanding the bodily reactions to, or the physical um, experience of fear is something that, well, that's something that I've become really interested in as I've been trying to sort of overcome some of these personal challenges in myself. And I think that, you know, mindset is a huge aspect to that. And, you know, knowing and trusting that your body is, Set up to manage and deal with, you know, fear and anxiety because um, we ha- have always had to deal with these things. We've always had to overcome challenges and trusting that we can is certainly a part of that process. But also, you know, and I think what you're talking about there with the same sort of um, experience or emotions of. Um, excitement and joy being similar to the mm-hmm. ones of um, stress and anxiety, it really is about, um, you know, then it comes down to what's in your head, like how you're thinking right. about mm-hmm. the situation and how you're, you know, it's easy, it's easy, it's possible <laughs> to flip flip a situation and to look at it with a completely different perspective just like what I try to do on the edge of of my comfort zone and think I could easily, you know, decide that this is scary and hard and difficult and step back. Or you could stand there and know that the opportunity is just one step forward and the new experience is one step forward. And it's, I mean, it's that age old glass half half empty, glass half full thing, right? You know, you can choose to go either way there or to see the world from a different perspective, but, you know, it takes training. It takes time to really get yourself and the way that you think into that position and ready to go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. So, do you have any mantras, anything that you tell yourself in those moments where you're you're about to step over the ledge in a sense?
1: <laughs> if I'm about to get on stage and speak, it's more like just take the next breath, like just do the next thing, the foot in front of the other, take a breath, try not to drop the microphone, just stay steady. <laughs> um, but... Uh, You know, most of the time it's really just reinforcing that I've got this, you know, you've got this, it's fine. Um, You know, in advance I might be thinking about the worst-case scenario but also if I'm thinking about the worst-case scenario, also acknowledging that it's probably in in the grand scheme of things it's probably not that bad, like, you know, in when you consider all of the things that could go wrong in your life, in your world, that one thing, you know, is potentially not gonna be as bad as as all of the others, but also that the opportunity that is in any of the other versions of the truth, if it's not the worst thing that could happen, anything in front of that and and up to the most incredible outcome that you can possibly imagine, is so much better than, you know, this one worst case scenario. And I think it's like it's putting things in perspective.
0: Yeah. That's a that's a really good point. I think too for people listening, for learners listening that have that anxiety of of having a conversation because they're scared I might make mistakes, I might completely fail, I might freeze up, people might laugh at me and all these things that they they don't step over the ledge in some sense. They don't lean into the fear of that moment and everything that you want is on the other side of it because you say that you want to be able to speak fluently. You want to be able to use your English to connect to other people. So I think that what you're saying, people can shift that focus a lot and think, I I like what you're saying, like, think about what's the worst that could happen. And it's probably not going to be that bad, you know? So it's, you're almost giving yourself kind of like that really broad spectrum and everything. And well, it's not going to be that bad really. And so by comparison, maybe you'll be able to get through it.
1: And equally it's like, well, the worst thing that could happen, you could say something completely wrong and mess it up. And you can look at that and be completely mortified at that situation. But you can also look at that and think that in that moment, in the heat of the moment when you are sweating, when you know, you're shaking, <laughs> you're really nervous, that is the moment where you're, you're pinning an experience to um, your, like it's, it's hardwiring into your brain. You make that mistake mm-hmm. there, it's unlikely that you will ever make it again because you'll have this reference point from that moment on, okay, don't do that, you know, or, you know, at least you have the opportunity if you make that mistake to think about it and know how to get out of get out of it next time or what to do in that situation because you've had that experience and you know that is what learning is all about it's about building that experience slowly over time if you don't step out there into that space mm-hmm. you don't get to have that experience you can't you know, um, you can't watch and observe that and then know exactly what to do in that situation when you find yourself in it. So, you know, to some extent, I'm always telling my students, if you feel that fear, that is the moment to step forward into Mm -hmm. that fear rather than stepping back. And that can be really hard to do at times. Um, It is, yeah. It's super hard to do. But doing so, knowing that that decision is taking you one step closer to where you need to go. No matter what happens, whether it's complete flop yeah. or nine <laughs> times out of ten, it actually turns out better than you're expecting. Um,
0: That's true, yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, then then you've taken one step and there are many more to go, but you've taken one and mm-hmm. you're on your way.
0: Exactly. And that that total, like, reframing of it too. If you get in a conversation and someone laughs or they don't understand you, you can look at that as like, you know, I'm just going to close up here and not say anything else. Or you can say like, why was that funny? Or, you know, um, or try to take, if they didn't understand, take that as an opportunity to re-explain. And I know at least in my language learning, I've been laughed at a lot of times because you say the wrong thing that's just bound to happen, or you say it in the wrong way. And that's what I tend to do is, is try to understand, okay, why was that funny? And then I can avoid that next time. And a lot of times when that happens to us, I end up laughing at myself. It's like, oh yeah, that is really funny. (laughs) So I think learning to laugh at yourself can be such a great skill for a language learner, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And in in general, I think that it's, um, you know, taking our, ourselves too seriously, often that mm-hmm. can be a hindrance in, you know, lots of different aspects of life. Um, language learning, for sure, definitely. Um, but being able to, you know, step back and laugh or to to look at a situation with, you know, kind of a little bit of humor, I think, you know, makes life more enjoyable generally.
0: <laughs> yeah. And like you're saying, people take it really seriously in the and in the sense that people really don't like that feeling that you almost feel like a child because you know you're thrown back into that reality where you can't communicate yourself fully the way that you want to. And one perspective of that is like, oh, I don't like this. This is uncomfortable. I'm not going to, I, I can't speak and stuff and, and putting yourself down. Or instead of taking it so seriously, you can play with it and like, you know, lean into that aspect of feeling a little bit childish and and have fun with it and learn to laugh at yourself.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: A really good exercise that I actually heard the other day for this, for if people, if you're really scared of doing anything, uh, kind of like you were talking about earlier, doing the exercise to think about the worst case scenario. And what this exercise was similar to that is thinking in five. So you think, okay, how am I going to feel about this in five minutes, in five hours, in five weeks, in five months, and in five years? And you can kind of think like, um, how much am I going to carry about it in these different time frames? So maybe it's... If you start to think about that, you could be like, okay, I might make a mistake when I have this conversation, but in five minutes, I'm not even going to be thinking about that because the conversation will have advanced. Or even if it's something that's really bad, it's like probably in five months or even five weeks, you'll have forgotten all about it or it won't matter to you. You'll look back and laugh at it. So I thought that that was a really interesting way to frame it.
1: Yeah. It certainly does put things in perspective, I think, because when you're thinking about, you know, um, we were just talking about my fear of, of speaking on stage. And when you put a time frame like five years on it, the only thing that I can possibly imagine in five years, thinking back on a time when I was like freaked out getting up on stage and having to speak in front of people, is I'm so glad I did that because of where I've, I've come from there or like what it's been able to help me achieve. And there is no way in five years that you would still be sitting with that anxiety of, oh my gosh, I regret ever doing that. I wish that I'd never done that. I, I've i never overcome it. I've never gotten past it. You know, it's it helps to put things in perspective for sure.
0: Yes, it will not kill you. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, Just conscious of time, I'm going to move into a couple rapid fire questions. So, first off, I wanted to ask Is there anything that you find that you're usually really curious about that most people are not curious about? So, just to give you an example, Vanessa, who I believe you know, uh, she said that what she gets really curious about is how people lived in the Middle Ages. So, she'll like doing any (laughs) little thing, she'll think about how would people have done this in the Middle Ages? And so I'm curious, do you have anything kind of odd or interesting like that that you think might be similar?
1: That is so funny. I'm going to have to chat to her about that because I have this obsession with, um, like, period drama,
0: Hmm. which
1: none of my friends have. So, you know, everyone's watching, like, sitcoms or, like, TV shows, dramas, whatever's popular, Um, and I'm always obsessed with, like, Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice, like take me back to the 18th century <laughs> kind of thing, and experience life at that time. Um, so I'll have to i have to chat to her about that. Um, though uh, probably the only thing that popped into my head was just like a fascination with people and personality types, is something that um, I think possibly tied to. The fact that I that I have a team that I you know have had to quickly learn the ways of business and um, uh, things like that, working with a group of people on a project that is essentially one that you thought up and came up with, and you know ultimately the the struggle or the challenge of making it happen is is yours with the support of the team. It becomes so important to understand how to connect with different types of people and Mm -hmm. how to respond to them how to give praise um, because not all of us love to give praise or to receive praise in the same way and Mm -hmm. so you know understanding those nuances between different people is something that I have probably started developing a bit of an obsession with um, to the point that you know, often I'll be sitting at the pub or, or somewhere and looking at someone who I haven't met or interacted with in some way, but I'll be observing them and, and making up something about their personality in my own head.
0: That is hilarious. <laughs> uh, I think that's so important though, because one of the things that we've been uh, reflecting on a lot, I think in the last year, building a team as well, is how important it is actually to have diversity within the team. Because a lot of we're drawn more to surrounding ourselves with people who think like us so that you'll say, oh, I have this idea and everyone will say, oh, that's a great idea and whatnot, but maybe it's not a great idea. And that's why having people with diverse perspectives who are going to actually disagree with you and, you know, butt against that and bring things that you never would have thought about is so important. So that's really interesting too. I think if you're you're able to, we were even talking about this a little bit earlier, kind of ties back into what you were saying about, uh, you know, cultural conflict and everything, but that if you're actually able to maybe identify, okay, this person has a different personality type and put yourself in their shoes to really understand that, I imagine that it helps to make things run more smoothly and help you to get down to the bottom of what is the best idea here.
1: Yeah. I think it helps you to have a much more effective working relationships. It helps you to build trust and to build, um, you know, the right kind of positive working experience with with your team. I'm not sure that I'm an expert yet, but, um, (laughs) but I'm working on it.
0: Yeah. Obsession is, I guess, the seed of expertise in some sense. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So a final question. Uh, if you could create a video, let's say on YouTube that every English learner in the entire world would see, what topic would you choose?
1: I love this question. Um, I have like, as soon as I, I heard you, you mentioned this a little, um, when we were emailing back and forth before meeting. And the answer to this question is instant for me. It is about understanding your purpose, your reason why. Um, Because I think in order to be successful in anything, anything that takes time, energy, effort, persistence, commitment, like learning English, like building a business, like doing a whole bunch of hard things, there is always going to be time when you just want to throw your hands up in the air and walk away and just think, Mm -hmm. do you know what, I'm not doing, this is too hard, I'm not cut out for this, Um, and all of the other excuses as to why not, you know, pop into your head. But I think that if you really understand your deep purpose your deep reason for why you are doing something how it is going to support you and your family or your dreams or your bigger purpose it becomes your key to getting through those difficult times because there there's always going to be the hard time there's always going to be the challenge you know where you've got to overcome something that is in your way and if you can continually be coming back to steering the ship back to your why and your reason for being there and your reason for making this massive commitment then it's you know possible to to keep moving forward.
0: Yeah. That is so essential. That's a great choice for a video to create. I used to actually with all of my students when I was teaching it's like the first day of class would be what is your why? And it's, you know, I would have them like really have them go through the five whys exercise, trying to get really down to a deep, unique driving purpose for them and actually like put it on a sticky note on their computer or the fridge or write it down and take a picture of it and set it as a screensaver on their phone. So there's something that they could constantly be reminded of and constantly coming back to. So I absolutely love that video choice. And I think it ties in well with, what we talked about for a while here just of finding ways to tie your English to the things that you're passionate about. So not thinking so much about, I have to study English, but rather I have a bunch of friends who are also into theater or cooking or whatever, and I use the language with them. And that's why I need to improve. So yeah, absolutely amazing uh, advice there, Emma. And I think we can roll into our game before we wrap up the interview.
1: Oh, I'm excited about this game. All right.
0: (laughs) So let me get Andrea on. We are going to be doing some trivia on... You're going to be answering trivia questions on the United States. I'm going to be answering trivia questions on Australia, and they'll all be true or false, so that'll make it a little bit easier. But we're going to see who knows whose culture better. Uh, I'm sure you'll win because Australians know much more about America than Americans do about Australia. (laughs) culturally ignorant Americans.
1: How do I know that you haven't been secretly preparing for this in the background?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even seen the questions yet, so <laughs> I'm, I'm in as precarious of a situation as you. <laughs> hey, Andrea.
2: Hi, guys. Hi, Andrea. Hey. Hi, Emma. It's nice to meet you. Yeah, you too. How are you doing? Pretty good. So let's get started then. So Ethan... Your first question is, about 20% of all Australians live in Sydney. Um, true. <laughs> correct. Well done. That's it is correct. true. Wow. It's about 5 million people <laughs> that live
0: wow. in Sydney. I don't even know what the most populous city was, but like I'd imagine Melbourne.
1: Yeah. Melbourne. I think Melbourne to- overtook Sydney a few years ago as the, the most populous oh, city. Go.
0: Mm. So it's probably about 2020. Do you know what Perth is on that?
1: As in the number of people who live here?
0: Yeah, or like the percentage more or less?
1: Uh, Oh, how's my maths? I'd say <laughs> maybe about 5 or 10%, 10%? Could be. Maybe a bit less. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, let's just, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> I
2: I remember when I came to Europe, everyone was always asking me about the population of London and things like that. And really, (laughs) we don't tend to know these things in the UK, but I think it's quite a popular topic like in Europe and people just can, you know, say these numbers and know the population of cities and towns and stuff.
0: I'm terrible at that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, me too.
0: We're language people, not math people.
2: Okay. So Emma, there are nearly 76 million dogs in the U.S.,
1: I'd say yes. True. (laughs) Yep, you're right.
0: Well done.
1: (laughs) It is true. It's amazing. I was thinking about that in the back of my mind as we were talking about our puppies earlier, Ethan, and wondering how many there were in Australia. But now, um, now I know seventy. That's like three times the population of Australia, just in dogs. Right.
2: (laughs) Yeah, they have the second most in the world. The first is Brazil. Really? Yeah. 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 It's really interesting. Yeah. Okay. So Ethan, your next question is Melbourne hosts the world championship of cockroach racing.
0: Cockroach racing. (laughs) Wow. That's obscure. feels weird to say true. I mean, I'm going to say true because that's like so obscure, but... I mean, they've all been true so far?
2: This one is false. It does it's exist. False. good. <laughs> but it happens in Brisbane.
1: <sighs> really?
2: It's in Brisbane.
1: Yeah, right. I was trying to <laughs> yeah. keep my face neutral because I was like, I did not know that that happened in Melbourne. Like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we're 1-1. One, one. Yes,
2: you are. And on to Emma's second question. You can get a unicorn hunting license anywhere in the usa
1: this seems ridiculous do like all of your licenses are all state <laughs> by state though so it's a weird thing to have like a consensus on you can get it anywhere mm. so i'm gonna say false that was some good like reasoning there reasoning, you're correct yeah. it is false
2: <laughs> but You can get it from Michigan, Michigan's Lake Superior University. So it is possible. Yeah, right.
0: I didn't know we have unicorns that you can even hunt.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Emma, your next question is, Melbourne has the largest Greek population outside of Greece.
0: I think that's mine, right?
2: Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. Sorry.
0: Okay. Sorry. Ethan.
2: <laughs> yeah. Should I repeat that?
0: I, I got it. I've heard this before, uh, but I'm trying to think because I thought it was Sydney that had the largest Greek population outside of Athens, but uh, could have been Melbourne. So I guess I'll say true. Maybe I mixed up cities. Correct. It is true. It is correct. Amazing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of family there as well that I, I haven't met all of them. Yeah, but I have a lot of family in Melbourne and Adelaide.
0: Mm. Andrea's Greek Cypriot, so that's the ah, connection there. Oh,
1: okay. <laughs> yes, the one thing I miss about not living in Melbourne is the food. And yeah, there's a lot of incredible mm. Greek food in Melbourne mm. that I miss a lot. I also learnt recently from one of the the ladies in my Um, community that brazil has the biggest population of japanese people outside of japan which completely came as a surprise to me it's very cool there must be lots of interesting statistics like this floating around out there right (laughs) yeah
0: Yeah, It's in sao paulo i think is they have like a humongous japanese population there's like a neighborhood and everything it's like something like little tokyo you know Yeah.
1: yeah awesome Wow. It's a long way from Japan. It's
0: a long (laughs) way. Yeah.
1: So as a
2: city, yep, Melbourne has the largest population, but as a country, it is the US. um, But as a city, Mm -hmm. there's many in Melbourne. Yeah. So we have one more question. It's your final question, Emma. So I think we're at 2-2, aren't we? So Emma, if you get this correct, you win the trivia quiz. Oh, okay. All right. Okay, so your final question is, there's a city called Annoying in the U.S.
1: Mm, Annoying. All I can think of is Wyoming, which kind of sounds pretty similar. Um, Yeah, I'm going to say true. It's false. Dang. Unlucky.
2: I know. Yeah, there isn't one called Annoying, but there's one called Boring in the state of Mm. Oregon
0: boring organ oh
1: imagine (laughs) living there (laughs) (laughs) oh that means we came it's a draw right it's a draw yay (laughs) (laughs) amazing that was fun well done thanks yeah it was fun um it was really it was really great catching up
0: (laughs) and we learned some things about cockroach races and strangely named cities
1: yeah absolutely
2: (laughs) See you guys later. See See you, Andrea. Bye. (laughs) Nice to meet
1: you.
0: All right, Emma. So just to wrap up, do you have any asks for the audience?
1: Yes, of course I do. Um, I would love for anyone who's listening to come and check out Hey Lady. Our new platform is launching in August um, 2021, and uh, it has been something that... Has been such a huge um, investment of energy and time, and um, we're so excited about the the potential of our new platform for our community. Um, of course, um, any women are welcome to join, um, but. You know, so many of our current community have joined us because they've been recommended by, sponsored by, or it's been suggested by their loving sons or brothers or partners. And um, I would really love for um, anyone who's interested to come and check it out at heylady.io. And you can find us um, on Instagram at heyladycommunity. Of course, you can find me at English Everywhere, Um, and uh, it's been a huge pleasure, Ethan, to to catch up and to um, likewise, yeah, to to get to spend a little bit of time filling each other in on where we're at, which is super cool.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, As we were saying before the interview, we've kind of had these parallel journeys over the last five years and doing very similar things, so. Uh, I really appreciate everything that you're doing also to help give people more global perspective, using their English as a tool in some sense for global citizenship and to really use it as something that they can find their passions with, make their life better and make the world a better place. So thanks so much for everything that you're doing and for coming on the show and sharing all of your insights with our audience, with the real lifers out there.
1: It was a pleasure. Anytime. Thanks so much,
0: Ethan. All right. See you. Thanks so much for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the interview. You can find all the mentioned links and resources from this show on the show notes at reallifeglobal.com. It is also linked in the description of this episode. If English fluency is important to you, then remember to check out our Real Life app where you can practice listening to native speech and speak with other learners from around the world while also discovering new cultures. In addition to that, you can get a full interactive transcript and vocabulary for this interview. You will find that linked in the description or just search for Real Life English in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. For now, remember that no matter what divides us, that which unites us is far greater. See you on the next show.